0: Well, praise the Lord. What about your pastor and first lady, Miss Dana? Can we give them a hand, clap of thanks for leading you? Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for their friendship and partnership in the in the gospel ministry. It's so good to be with you all. Again, some of you may have been here the first time I was here a little bit ago now, maybe two years, goodness, maybe since then. I can't recall the exact date, but anyhow, it's uh, good to be with you. And I am uh, so grateful for uh, Pastor Matt and his leadership here and just the uh, friendship that we have and his passion for you in the local church and leading you and as an under-shepherd, and I'm grateful for your ministry uh, here, right here in this community. Uh, as we think about ministry together, I also want to extend the greetings to you on behalf of the Kentucky Baptist Convention to say thank you for your partnership in the gospel ministry. Uh, you are uh, a part of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and so what that means for somebody out there is thinking, what does that mean? Essentially, that means you're a part of uh, 2,350 churches, uh, a network of churches that essentially cooperate together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, in this state and beyond. And we do that through many uh, various means. Uh, Perhaps uh, one of the most common that you will have heard about or will hear about throughout the time here at this church is what we call the cooperative program. And so, I know that that requires kind of a whole other teaching session, so I won't get into the in-depth of it, but if you have heard of the cooperative program, or at some point you will hear the cooperative program, whether it be through a budget proposal or uh, through a cooperative program emphasis, or maybe just out on the table you pick up some that says cooperative program, what does that mean? When you give financially, uh, as part of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist Convention, you give every church designates that on their own. they 're autonomous, so they get to have that option. You designate a portion, and that money goes forward, and i can 't even detail all the various means and ministries that supports. But essentially, you get the gospel out through that gift. So that means, just in short, that 3,000 plus missionaries and their families are supported internationally because you give the cooperative program. When you're a Southern Baptist International Mission Board missionary, you get to go to the the nations, and you don't have to come back home to raise support, just to put it very simple, you know, on the bottom shelf where I like things. You get to stay over there, and you get to serve, and you don't have to worry about uh, that financial funding. Every missionary serving in different contexts will require a different amount, but that is gauged off their context. So in some contexts, it may be more money or less money, but the reality is, whatever context that missionary lives in, they will have the means whereby to live and faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would they do that? So that lost people get saved. So that lost people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. North America, your uh, it's a cooperative program. You are, you are supporting thousands of church plants in communities just like this one. All around North America. Now, obviously, we know some like Boston and New York and, you know, San Francisco. But there are many small rural areas that, are, that, that has church plants. And church planters are able to receive a percentage of funding. Most of those will be bivocational. But they'll receive some port to help their ministry proclaim the gospel. And then right here in the state of Kentucky, when you give the cooperative program, you support your mission board staff, which I'm a part of. That allows us to do the work in ministry, to serve churches, to resource churches. The way I look at it, the way it's been told to me, to serve as an extension of every staff in their church around the state. So my position, supported by the cooperative program, allows me to be an extension of every church staff. Now, I'm not going to have an office at church buildings, but I can uh, uh, help hold up the arms of pastors and associate pastors as they do the work of ministry. Because ministry is, in amongst many other things, calls for spiritual warfare. And so, if you're wondering who needs encur- encouragement this morning, I can tell you we all need encouragement. But I can tell you at least two people that need encouragement in this room amongst many others, but two, at least, in the context of my conversation and just my time of service, and that is your pastor and your pastor's wife. Because when you're serving in ministry, you're putting yourself in the front lines of the work of the gospel. And as Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians, it's worth it. I've had many sleepless nights, Paul said. I've encountered various dangers. Paul said in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, he almost lost his life. But for the sake of the gospel, it's worth it. And in all of that, Paul would at points and various times highlight the various churches and people that supported him that essentially was fuel for his fire to keep going. So as part of your mission board staff, serving the Kentucky Baptist Convention, it's my joy and honor to serve in that regard, to come alongside churches just like yours, to be a listening ear, to support you in ministry as you advance the gospel in this community. Because I'm not going to sugarcoat it this morning. It's not easy work. And if there's one person that wants to keep your mouth shut, it's Satan. And if he can do that, he will have he will achieve, achieved his objective. But the one who lives in us is greater than the one that is in the world. So we're called to do the work of ministry. We're called to push back darkness. We're not called just to live in defensive mode, but to be on the offense. To push the ball up the court. Amen? To spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So maybe that's the sermon before the sermon. I don't know. But thank you for your support in the cooperative program. You're partnering with 2,350 churches, other churches just like yours around the state to do that very thing. And I'm telling you what, it's a good day to be a Kentucky Baptist, because of the work that we're doing together for the name of Jesus. As I stand before you this morning, I, I do want to direct your attention, first of all, to Romans chapter 10. I don't think I shared this with Pastor Matt beforehand, but if this was not the call to worship, I kid you not, I'm not making the, I would dare not do that. But Romans 10, 1 through 17 was the scripture that I was going to read to set up my time. And so I just take that as, wow, God, you know, amongst all the confusion and doubts of my life and in my mind, this is one thing I can't doubt. Amen? I'm, I'm supposed to be here, and uh, there's a thousand other people that could do a better job than I could. But it's not about me. It's not about anybody else when it comes to this moment. It's about Jesus. And so when we look at His Word, I'm thinking, wow, my preliminary thoughts to set up the conversation that I want to have with you today and the handout that you have, that you, I trust, received uh, when you came in. If you didn't, I think there's some probably still in the back, but we're going to talk about the best news. And before we get there, I just want to highlight a few thoughts from Romans chapter 10. We look at Romans chapter 10, as you, I know, are taught faithfully, Sunday in and Sunday out, and Bible study in and Bible study out. Context is key. We're about the context of scriptures, I, I just want to pull out really three, three essential elements to this gospel message that we're going to highlight today, I trust be equipped, in ministry but three essential elements that we see in these 17 verses of Romans chapter 10 and you can write these down the the back of your bulletin these are not in the outline so don't don't uh, that you receive when you you came in these won't be on the screen these are just three preliminary essential elements to this gospel message that we're going to talk about today and and really I hope be challenged but further equipped to share And the first element that I see here in Romans 10 that is essential for us in understanding the work that we're called to in sharing the gospel is, number one, there is a burden. There is a burden involved. We found that in verse number one. So I'm not going to exposit all these verses, but I just want to really highlight, perhaps devotionally, some thoughts here from this, this, these 17 verses. There is a burden. What does Paul say? He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul, I mean, you can just sense it, can't you? I mean, this is like a dad pleading with their, his children, right? This is like a mom pleading with her children. This is that crucial moment in a life decision that maybe you face or will face. There is a burden involved. There is, there is something that is influencing the Apostle Paul's thoughts. Well, I mean, of course, we know he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but herein lies this burden. It's this weightiness. I mean, I think emotionally we have a lot of thoughts that come with of that. Oftentimes when I'm burdened, my... My heart feels heavy, right? There's a heaviness on my chest. Maybe my heart is beating really fast. And I know there's something I've got to act on. Now sometimes, it's, I mean, I'm just going to be real with you this morning. Y'all right, if I just be real with you. Is that okay? Sometimes it's not always spiritual. Sometimes I about run a red light and my, my heart beats fast, right? There's a burden. I need to slow down. Somebody say Amen. <laughs> Oftentimes, though it is spiritual, it's the Holy Spirit doing something in my heart. The burden comes from an awareness. The Apostle Paul just doesn't scoop up this burden because he's just kind of walking along the way, but Paul's burden comes because there's an awareness. What is the awareness? It's an awareness that Jew and Gentile are lost, eternally separated from God forever outside of relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we learned, what we have learned from Paul in Romans, and we will learn further from Paul in Romans and in other epistles in the New Testament, this burden can only be met by faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone. Which leads me to the second element. It's not only the burden we see, but there is truth involved. There's a burden involved, but there is truth involved. When you and I declare this best news as we're going to talk about today, there is truth that is necessary. I would say perhaps the big bulk of that thought and that point comes like from verses 2 all the way down to verse number 13. We see Paul use incredible language, right? He starts in verse number 2. He says, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but but not according to knowledge. Their knowledge needs to be informed rightly. They're ignorant of God's righteousness and they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Amen? And so Paul elaborates on that. He goes on to some verses that we probably know very well, if not have in memory. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, right? The resurrection. You will be saved. For with a heart one believes in the righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made and salvation. Verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will shall be saved. Church, listen. That is truth. It is the righteousness of Christ. Which leads me to the third element, and I would say we see the element of sharing, preaching, proclaiming. We see this truth and how it is exposed to and By God to live good lives? Yeah, we're commanded to live good lives, lives right? But a good life will not save a soul. Jesus Christ saves souls. It is the proclamation, it is the sharing of this good news, Jesus, that when it falls on the hearts and ears of those who hear the message through him, Through and by by the power of the Holy Spirit, their eyes and their ears are open to their lostness, and they receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. We see that in verses 14 all the way down to 17. Again, that's very loosely, probably devotionally the best way to put it. Not expositing all these verses, but just want you to know there's sharing involved. Where does sharing come from? Well, he says it right here. How can they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Wow, here Paul quotes scripture, the Old Testament. But have they not all obeyed the gospel? Verse 16 says, he quotes Isaiah again, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, don't you love this verse? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, by the word of God. Can I just tell you a country boy way to just break this down? You and I have to share Christ. How is anybody in Cadiz? How is anybody in Trego County? How is anybody in this state? How is anybody in North America? How is anybody in the world? How are they going to believe unless somebody tells them? And what we're required to tell them, we're required to tell them the truth, and that truth comes from a burden. I mean, if I was going to say like sermon from these seventeen verses, I would just say a roadmap. To gospel sharing. Let's take it from Paul. Let's not take it from Ian. I'm no expert. Man, I'm a sinner saved by grace. So I look, for, look at Paul and I say, Paul, man, I want to be like you when I grow up. So Paul, what do you got? And he says, listen, it starts with the burden. That burden has to lead into truth. It's not like your truth and my truth. It's not subjective. It's like this world we live in, kind of like when well, you live your life, I will live my life. And like that really matches up with the very moral convictions that we ultimately find in our life, you know, i.e., have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lied? Do we have laws of the land that we're required to live by? I mean, all of us at some point, those that hear the gospel are faced with this reality that we're lawbreakers. So being a lawbreaker, we look to the one who kept the law faithfully and we kept the law holy, who kept the law completely That is Jesus Christ himself, the righteousness of God, the one who is rich yet became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. That is the grace of God. So I share that message of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's not my own good deeds. It's not my own works. By faith alone in Christ, I'm saved. Wow. We've all I think, experienced times in our life where we've said something like this or we've heard something like this. I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> what do you want first? I read a story on the Internet. There's a train that's heading west, had two engines. Before the train got to, I believe it was Denver, one engine failed. The conductor looked and said, Well, we got one engine. I think we'll, we'll limp our way there. Second engine blew, they come to a stall, had a lot of passengers on board on the train. Well, the conductor had to come over the intercom, said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The bad news is, both engines have blown and were stalled. The good news is, you're not on an airplane. Amen, I heard that. Some of you are thinking, yep, I've been there and done that before. Preacher, that's why I'll never fly. Yeah. I mean, we know good news and bad news well. I mean, tell me the bad news first. I mean, that way the good news is so much sweeter. Amen. This morning, when you think about this gospel message that we read about over and over in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, The question that we're just going to ask ourselves in the moments that we had this morning will be, how do I share my faith? How do I share the news? For some of you, you already have a method, quote-unquote method. That method may look something like Roman's Road. The the method may be three circles. Uh, The method may be evangelism explosion. That was years ago. Maybe you're saying, "In I don't even know what a method is. I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, essentially, when I say a method, I, I'm just trying to say that this is a way for you and I to articulate this news in Cadiz, Trigg County, Kentucky, and beyond. Everywhere you go, this is a way for you to methodically in your mind think through this message of truth. If you've got other methods, then praise be to God. And you're using those methods, praise be to God. Somebody, you know, somebody asked, Pastor Matt, what's the best method for evangelism? And I'd say it'd be very similar to the kind of the question of what's the best translation to read. The one you're going to read. The one you're going to do. Amen? But the best news is an articulation. A method. An outline, if you will. The gospel never changes. We need to get that established right now. We can't change the gospel. But the outline whereby we might think through or even have as a track that we share with our family, our friends, our neighbors, could look a little different. Same message. The essential message there. This is the best news. When we use that word evangelism, I... There are all kinds of various definitions that may describe evangelism. I like what Dr. Matt Queen said. Again, this won't be on your outline, but just you just listen to this. Dr. Matt Queen lives in Texas, part of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, evangelism professor. He defined evangelism this way. The spirit-empowered activity in which believers share the gospel. Inviting and calling unbelievers to become disciples of Christ by repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Evangelism is the spirit-empowered activity in which believers share the gospel. What's the gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Inviting and calling unbelievers, that is, those that are lost, that is, those that are outside of Christ, those that are not Christians, right? Calling unbelievers to become disciples of Christ, that is, uh, to use kind of the missionary lingo, uh, when I served at Beaver Baptist Church, we went on uh, several mission trips to Ghana, Africa, and um, the former international missionary that was leading our church over there when he was describing to us what it means to tell a Muslim what it means to follow Christ and the magnitude of that moment for that Muslim. I like the way he said it because it's such an image in my mind that I haven't forgotten. I think, you know, we didn't use that in America. He said it as putting both feet on the Jesus path. I like that. That's a disciple of Christ. It is you and I putting both feet on the Jesus path. Matt Queen said it's calling unbelievers, inviting unbelievers to become disciples of Christ. It is putting both feet on the Jesus path. We're a follower of Christ. By repenting of their sins, that is a 180, and placing their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Friends, that's the best news. The best news, not only good news, not only great news, but the best news is unbelievers can be saved. Isn't that the best news? I mean, the best news is this morning, listen, here's the deal. Some of you sitting in this room right now may not even be a believer. You're an unbeliever. You've never did that 180. You've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You're here this morning, and the invitation for you is to put both feet on the Jesus path, it's for you to commit your life to Jesus Christ by believing in Him for your salvation and following Him as a disciple of Jesus Christ by committing your life to Him. Many of you here are believers. And this morning, this method, the best news, will be one that I pray will provoke much praise in your heart, but will be one that will equip you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk you through this outline. We're going to talk about it very methodically. I'll follow up after talking about it just really as a way of presentation to model for you what this would be like for you to share this message. I want to challenge you personally, even as I challenge myself, to use this message within, let's just say, two weeks. That may mean you use it on your spouse, amen? (laughs) Now, don't do that when you're in the midst of a fight, right? You need to get saved. I'm going to share the best news with you. Sit down, buddy. Don't do it then. But I want to challenge you in a two-week period to sit down at the kitchen table or even better to share out in public somewhere. At the end, I'm going to have, you're going to have it right here in your outline. There's no mystery to it. But I've got another handout to give you that's smaller print, something you can fold up to put in your wallet, your purse, or your Bible, maybe your binder, your journal. And if you need to use this in sharing the message, use it. But this is the best news. If you look at your outline, James Merritt, he's a pastor in Georgia. He's the one that was inspired to, I guess, use this. My understanding is he had used this for some time. He made a statement, "...a seemingly simple conversation can spark life change with eternal consequences." When you think about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, oftentimes we struggle. And I say we because I'm going to be the chief among us all. We struggle transitioning to that moment, right? I mean, we talk about fishing, we talk about basketball, we talk about football. Really, though, our grandkids, our children, those are no problems. The problem comes with most Christians, and I think this is one that we all just kind of agree on and understand it's a struggle, and we got to be intentional about it, but it's transitioning. How do I transition from football to, to gospel? <laughs> I mean, how do I transition from telling a lie on the, on the fish I caught to the gospel? Well, first got to repent, and then you got to share the gospel, amen? And it's a common struggle. I think everybody has a struggle. This method here just suggests a few questions that you and I could ask. Number one, junior outline: Do you mind talking about spiritual things? When you ask somebody that question, you give them the permission to say yes or no. What if they say no? What if they, you you can't beat yourself up. Church, visit, I'm a pastor. that said this from other places. I want to make sure you hear. This is is the message I've got to preach to myself. It's really preaching the gospel to myself. But you and I have to understand we are not responsible for the results. We're not responsible for the results. We're responsible to be obedient. That should take all the weight off of you. It's not, listen, you can't no more save a soul than you can create a star in the sky. So quit trying. You you, you just, you're not going to save anybody. Jesus does the same. The Holy Spirit of God God opens hearts and minds of individuals so that they can see their need for Jesus. Just Just like happened to me, and I trust this morning, if you're a believer, just like happened to you, and this morning, if you're an unbeliever, it's happening to you right now. You're burdened because you need to be saved. It's conviction. It's the Holy Spirit stabbing your heart, convicting you of your need for a Savior, your need to be made right with a holy and just God. And the only way that can happen is not by more church attendance or not by memorizing more Scripture as good and great as those things are. It's by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's by surrendering and saying, yes, Lord. I'm putting both feet on the Jesus path. As my seminary pre- president said, when I was in seminary, he was doing door-to-door evangelism. Somebody, I think, made a statement to him when he asked, are you saved or are you a believer? And they said, I'm trying. And he said, would you please stop? Would you please stop? Stop striving, stop, tri- listen, stop striving with God by good works and good deeds. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. So when you ask somebody, do you mind talking about spiritual things, they may say no. But perhaps they will say yeah. And interesting enough, statistics tell us that in the day we live in right now, people are relatively interested in talking about spiritual things. Second question would be this. Can I share with you the best news I've ever heard in my life? Can I share with you the best news I've ever heard in my life? Trust me, if people are open to talk about spiritual things, chances are they're longing for hope. So let's say amen. Do you mind if I share with you the the best news I have ever heard in my life? Sure. That's where you go into it. Now listen, number one, when we try to answer or we answer the question, what is the best news? Listen to this. Number one, I want you to see, first of all, it'll be on the screen here, I think, at this point. You've got to understand the bad news. So when you're articulating this, can I share with you the best news I've ever heard in my life? And they say, yeah, go ahead. Or they say, "Yeah, sure. I mean, take whatever open door you can get. But you say, okay, listen, it's real, it's real simple. There's four things I want to share very quickly, all right? This is not a sermon. This is not a theology book. This is not a seminary class. This method is meant to obviously introduce the gospel. In introducing the gospel, you're introducing an element of time. You're introducing the opportunity to, to have a conversation. And this conversation is just rails, if you look at it that way, it's rails for you and I to guide our thinking. And it's real easy. Essentially, listen, you're going to memorize four words. Four words. If you can memorize four words, I think you've got this method. The first word is bad. Everybody say bad. I've got bad news. Here's the bad news. Our sin has separated us from God. That's bad news. We Our sin has separated us from God. Do you use the way of the Master? Some Ray Comfort stuff? Have you ever told a lie before? Uh, yeah, I think I have. Okay. Um, have you ever stolen anything? No, I've never stolen it. You mean even a pencil in elementary? Yeah, I remember Miss, you know, remember Miss Smith's class. I did, I think, still. Well, okay, then just, we'll stop right there. Based on, and this is kind of bold, but I like it, based on your own confession, you're a lying thief. Just go through the Ten Commandments. I mean, the way the Master... Is taken out of a book that Jesus would use with his own life and his conversation. Rich young ruler. To get to the heart of the matter. The bad news is this. The bad news, our sin is separated us from God. Now, you don't have to say what I just said. I use that as really a setup to say, you want to get somebody to understand their sinfulness, show them the law. Right? I mean, that's what Paul even said. It's our, it's our schoolmaster. To get us to see grace and understand grace. Understand how far away from God we are. Number one, there's bad news. Our sin has separated us from God. Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. The Romans road right there. (laughs) All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've got these scripture references right there. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But number two, I want you to see this. Number two, you're going to see on the screen, there's worse news. Everybody say worse. All right? Everybody say bad. Everybody say worse. There's worse news. We can do nothing to remove our sin. You can't be baptized to earn salvation. You can't go to church to earn salvation. You can't give enough money to earn salvation. If you do those things, you'll be a clean, (laughs) generous unbeliever. That's about it. There's various other things we can think about, but the worst news is this. There is absolutely nothing we can do to remove our sin. We see in Ephesians 2, verse number 8, By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. We see there in this great epistle from the Apostle Paul himself the reality, he's highlighting the excellence of grace in their salvation that there's nothing that they can do in their own doing. Because if it's something you can do in your own doing, it's going to allow you to walk away patting yourself on the back. And so Paul rips out the carpet for underneath anybody who maybe had had that kind of thinking to say, Essentially, not only the worst news, but number three, I want you to see this. Number three? There's a a question. Yeah, number three, the good news. Everybody say good. Everybody say bad. Worse. Good. There you go. There's good news. What's the good news, Ian? The good news at the cross, Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We got a cross right here, right? We got the crowns. We got the. We got. We see this almost in every church that we go into. There's a cross. A cross is where Jesus shed his blood as the atonement for our sin. He bore the wrath of God. God. Good news. The good news is that Jesus lived sinless, perfect life. Jesus Christ died on. It wasn't a ghost he literally rose from the grave and then he's where he seated, right hand of the father you see the verse in first john 1 7 we see the highlight here i think it's on the next slide grace is getting what you don't deserve Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That is the good news. At the cross, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves, which leads us to the fourth point in this method, the best news. You knew he was getting to it, didn't you? I mean, you knew where we were going this morning. Here's the best news. Through faith, through faith, we freely receive forgiveness and eternal life. Wow! Wow! I mean, if there's some place to say, wow, that is a place that we say, wow, that is the best news. Man, I don't have to do anything, no. I don't have to be baptized, no. I don't have to memorize the Gospel of Matthew, no. I don't have to be as good as that guy down the road portrays himself to be, no. You look at the law. You see the true lawbreaker, and you look to grace, and you see that Jesus kept the law perfectly for you, for the world. He died, shedding his blood, and through faith and faith alone, by putting both feet in the Jesus path. Romans ten nine and ten, Romans ten thirteen. Whoever believes in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the best news. You can be forgiven. You can have a home in heaven forever. You can rest at peace tonight night when you lay your head down on the pillow. If you draw your last breath, you will be at home forever with Jesus. And even more, you get to live for His glory right here on this earth. Right now. That is eternal life. That's the best news. You see when you get to this point you've got the scripture there, Romans 6.23 you see this idea of inviting somebody to that point. Romans 10 and 9, again to highlight that, it's in your outline there and then there's this sample prayer that somebody could literally look at if they are absolutely clueless to kind of what, what what's this all about, right? I mean we've all been there and done that. Or more, if you're Talking to somebody and they come to a point and they're agreeing with you. When you ask them the question, does this make sense? And they say yes. And in your back of your mind, you're going to be thinking, how does this make sense? I think I messed it all up, right? It's what the enemy always does in evangelism. You're like, oh, goodness. I, point number two, I didn't put the right word in there. It doesn't matter because if you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's like spreading the banquet table out. You don't tell people just to stand back and look at it. You tell people to come and dine. And so when you share this glorious best news, you invite them to repent and believe because that's what the Scripture says. You bring them to a place of commitment where they put both feet on Jesus' path. And then, of course, there's all kinds of other things that come beyond that like, you know, discipleship and getting plugged in church and making sure you come alongside them and help them. That's the best news. So I'm going to run through this very quickly and then we're going to have a time of response. And see if you can remember it. Remember it. Do you mind talking about spiritual things? Yes? Yes? do you mind if I share with you the best news I've ever heard? Okay. Before I get to the best news, I've, first of all, I just got to share there's bad news. And the bad news is this. Our sin has separated us from God. You know, the Bible tells us that there's none good, no, not one. But not only is there bad news, there's worse news. The worst news is this. We can do nothing to remove our sin. So that means, you know, we can't go to church enough. We can't be baptized to forgive our sins. We, we can't memorize Scripture. I mean, there's just nothing we can do. So the question is, how can sinful people be made right with a sinless God? That leads us to what I would say the good news. The good news is this at the cross Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves he shed his blood on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins and that leads me to the best the best news is giving us an eternal life is there any questions you got makes sense you on the Jesus path. Don't push top. That literally took like three to five minutes. To share. Some of you so, see, before you just started sharing in the first place. Amen, I know. You also notice I looked at the sheet. When you're talking to a lost person, you're looking at the sheet or you got it memorized. Hello. It's good to have mem- mem- uh, memorized, but if you don't have it memorized, don't don't feel ashamed to use a sheet to guide your thinking. A track, gospel track, don't be ashamed. Just dialogue with them. You're sharing the truth, and then you say, "I just walk through it very quickly because it's not a seminary class." But this is meant to be a, a gospel-provoking conversation. And there's four words you need to memorize. And if you can remember, memorize these four words, I believe this could be an outline for you to share the best news. What is it? Bad, worse, good, and best. If you can break that up in your thinking, this could be an incredibly helpful tool for you to share the best news ever. I'm to have a word of prayer. Time response here. I said two weeks. Try to use this. If it's with your family, just try to use it. Become familiar with it. Best case scenario would be to use this somewhere out and about with somebody you don't know. And here's the deal: tell them the preacher asked you to to do it. You know, I mean, say I got an assignment from church. Do you mind if you listen? If, if if I share this with you, if you'll just listen. And just try to share it. Just use it. Become familiar with it. And maybe, just maybe, God could use this method, this tool, it's all it is, to share the best news ever. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced this personally, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking in your heart. Today's the day of salvation. Repent and believe. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. Father, as we come to this place of response, I pray that our hearts would be worshipful because of who you are, because of what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you would open many doors for conversations whereby we could use this best news. Lord, I pray that this would not only be tucked away in our Bibles or put on the table or put on the... Refrigerator somewhere, but Lord, I pray that this eternal truth would just, God, I pray it would resonate in our hearts. And Lord, as you provide opportunities to share this method or any other method, may we be a church that is on mission for you. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen, Pastor Matt.
1: Let's stand and let's respond to the God of the best news.